Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk, the Week in Science, and I'm Dave Robinson. And today's episode's about the coronavirus pandemic. There's something about this disease that you might have not really fully realized. This pandemic might be the first time that we've been able to truly watch science in action as it's happening. Whether we wanted that or not, we're given front row seats on the scientific process behind this pandemic. And as you know, this process has been incredibly complex and nonlinear. But here's the kicker. Something else is interfering with the process by which we're learning about this virus. It's politics. We'll fill you in on all these political shenanigans with a rebroadcast of a recent episode of the Al Franken podcast. Yes, former senator of Minnesota and Saturday Night Live comedian Al Franken has a political podcast. First, I'll play a part of his September 13, 2020 episode having to do with the White House obstruction of scientific work that we pay the government to do for us. And after you hear this clip, I'll update you on what has transpired in the six weeks since it was recorded. So here is Senator Al Franken. Uh, Well, we've got a great one uh, today for change. Two fabulous guests. Uh, If you're a fan of the podcast, you probably know Andy Slavitt. Andy was the head of Medicare and Medicaid during the last two years of the Obama administration. I've made the argument that he saved the ACA. He's the guy that got the exchange working after it crashed at the beginning there in October of 2013. So welcome welcome back again. Thank you, Al. Okay, and I am absolutely thrilled to have Lori Garrett with us, one of the most influential uh, writers on infectious diseases. In fact, she won the Pulitzer Prize in Explanatory Journalism. You just wrote an article, Lori, in Foreign Policy, right, That about the vaccines and about whether we can trust them or not if one comes out before the election. And uh, can we? Can we uh, trust a vaccine that comes out, say, what would be a good date, November 1st? <laughs> well, that's their target date, November 1st. That is the Mm -hmm. date that the Trump administration instructed the CDC to instruct every single governor in the United States and territories to be ready for mass distribution and to, by October 1st, have sent CDC their master plan for how they will vaccinate their population for approval and then actually roll it out courtesy of a private contracting firm called McKesson on November 1st. But we saw a real blowback from political leaders and, of course, the public generally and the public health community saying, wait a second, how in the world can you imagine that you're going to have a safe, proven, effective vaccine in the next 50 plus days? That's just inconceivable. And nine major vaccine makers jointly released a statement promising the world that they will not go along with being shoved out the door hastily and that they will indeed do adequate safety and so on. And then AstraZeneca, which had the most promising vaccine, let it be known that they're stopping their trial temporarily because they've seen a side effect in one of the trial participants. Let me stop and just say, ask you, how many vaccines are in the research pipeline? Well, if you count the ones that are rather dubious from places like Russia, 
and you put them all in the pile, it's close to 200 are in the pipeline worldwide. There are basically 10 leading contenders that the United States government is looking at. Most of them are made in America, but there's also AstraZeneca made in, in the UK and a joint American-German product that is probably at the front of the line right now, jointly made by Pfizer and a German company. There are many, many, many products out there, all in various stages of testing, all the way from just in the laboratory to already in 30,000 trial subjects in phase three trials. There is a political dimension to this, obviously. And Andy, I just want you to speak to that. I don't trust Donald Trump. Do you? (laughs) He has developed a track record here, which I think we should be paying attention to. I mean, first of all, the FDA scientists, the civil service scientists are more than capable of running this EUA process, evaluating data, looking at adverse events uh, if they occur. I think, Lori, the, the adverse event for this AstraZeneca trial was a, was a swelling of the spine uh, in one uh, participant, uh, which they're investigating. And these things happen. They come up. That's why you do these large-scale trials. And you want a trial to be accelerated, but you don't want it to be rushed. There's a long tradition at the FDA of letting the civil service scientists do their work. And while they can be technically overruled by the FDA commissioner, the secretary of HHS, or the president, it generally does not happen for a lot of good reasons. In this particular case, we've seen a president who has at least twice interfered in the FDA process, once for a treatment called convalescent plasma and once for a, a hydroxychloroquine yeah. Um, yeah, example. So he set up a dubious record of pushing the FDA, and the FDA has caved on those occasions. So that's why Americans are nervous. That's why the blowback that Lori has talked about is occurring, because he's interfering with science. And everybody wants a vaccine, but nobody wants a vaccine that other people can't trust, because a vaccine that comes out, no matter how good it is, if people don't take it, then we will prolong COVID-19 for a long, long time. Would you take a vaccine Lori, that the president introduces on November 1st? No. Okay. (laughs) Okay, now, uh, most Americans probably don't know as much about this as you do. That's fair to say, right? So could you explain uh, to uh, Americans who don't know as much about vaccines and vaccine testing and protocols why you wouldn't take it? Well, there's several things going on here. First, as Andy told you, there's been at least two other instances where the White House has pressured the FDA to reverse its position on uh, convalescent therapy and on hydroxychloroquine, both of which overwhelmingly are shown not to work. It's not just that this administration has pushed the FDA to prior times to overrule the better judgment of its own scientists and of the NIH. It has also pushed to strip the ability of the FDA to analyze testing kits and determine whether or not they give valid results. That has now been destroyed. So it's been technically moved over to the office of the secretary of HHS, Alex Azar. But what it in truth means is that now the market is getting flooded with test kits of all sorts, all various reliabilities. If you are a governor and you're trying to figure out which one to order for your state, 
it's a bloody mess now. And the FDA is no longer allowed to tell you this one's superior to that one, or this one fails to actually identify appropriate antibodies or appropriate antigens or appropriate RNA nucleic acid markers. Meanwhile, it's part of a larger package because we've now seen the White House order the CDC to reverse itself on schools, on testing, on a whole set of criteria that are essential for individuals and politicians to understand what to advise for their populations. And they ordered the EPA to reverse its own decision on the safety of a disinfectant for airplanes so that American Airlines could get back in the air. And they released one that is known to cause eye and face damage. Let me ask Andy something, because we're talking about all these different agencies within these public health agencies, uh, including the EPA and the FDA and the CDC. And there appears to just be a lot of the kind of chaos that Lori is describing there. And this is a political thing. So as someone who is head of Medicare and Medicaid, what are you seeing there in terms of the politics of these agencies that we normally just feel like they're rock solid? You can really rely on the CDC. You can really rely on the FDA. What's going on here? I think to try to make a distinction to the public, which is to say, you know, there's 17,000 career civil servants in the FDA. They are in every political administration. Um, they are not driven by politics. They are driven by science. There are thousands and thousands of epidemiologists inside of CDC, and these are good people. I mean, these are some of the best people in the world at what they do. They're not always right, but their institution normally has processes that have all the kinds of checks and balances you'd like to see so that you make the best decisions possible, and they won't always get it right. We're always going to be mad at the FDA for either not going fast enough or being too sloppy. So they're always in that spot anyway. What I don't want to do is I don't want people to lose confidence in these institutions because long-term, we really, really need them. I mean, just close your eyes and imagine we were putting drugs on the market and we had no FDA or we had no epidemiologists in the CDC. So if we have problems with them and they made mistakes and they clearly have, as Lori said, we need to reform them. Uh, but these are good long-term institutions, good long-term people. Now, your job when you come in to run an agency like this, like I did at CMS, normally your job, your most important job is to protect the scientists from the politics. The most important thing you can do is let them do their technical work and protect them from the politics. And if you can't do that, you're in a troubling situation. And what we have today is a president who will tweet that the FDA is part of the deep state and the FDA commissioner, quite honestly, folded like a tent um, Han, the next day. Stephen Hahn. Han, Stephen Hahn. And that was on the uh, convalescent plasma therapy. Didn't he say <laughs> that you were like 35% less fatalities <laughs> if you took it? He made a rookie mistake. It's a public health statistics 101 class mistake that, you know, a professor would gladly give you an F for, yeah. uh, in, in which he looked at the differential between two data points and said, those two data points are 35% apart. That means there's a 35% benefit to the health. That was completely bogus. And he did mea culpa to his benefit. He did say, oops, I got that wrong. Uh, I misstated that. And then they turned around and they fired the entire public relations team in the hierarchy there at FDA. I want to say something to what Andy just said, because it's a very important point you're making that we don't want people to distrust these agencies in the long run. 
in every single pandemic and epidemic role-playing exercise I was in over the last 30, 35 years, where we imagine disease X has shown up and here's what the fire department will do and here's what the public health community does, etc. None of us ever imagined a scenario, ever in which we would have a president who lies, who is incompetent, and who uses his political power to force other agencies to basically misbehave, to go against their own mandate and their own charter. So we're in a situation now where very good people, the civil servants inside these institutions, if they're at CDC, they've been muzzled. They've been gagged. They can't talk to the public. They can't tell you what they know. If they're inside EPA, they've been told climate change is off the table and here's another 25 topics you're not allowed to ever discuss. And if they're at FDA, they're being told the president says this works. You will now say it works, period. End of story. This is not the way to protect the health and safety of the American people. This is the way to protect a political agenda of a president carried out by his cronies that he's appointed to run the various agencies. I would even put it this way. The job of the FDA, most importantly, is to explain the claims that are valid on a given drug precisely. So if you were to come to the FDA and do what Commissioner Hahn did and say, hey, this drug, 35 out of 100 people, lives will be saved, when in fact the number is well, 5 6 7%, and he grossly exaggerated it, you wouldn't just face a mea culpa you might face civil penalties. You might face criminal penalties. Their job is to be the most precise possible in communicating this. And they know for a fact that the one stage they have to do it right is the first time they do it. And they did it at a presidential press conference. So Stephen Hahn, you know, maybe he made a mistake. If I were conducting an observational study on Stephen Hahn and Donald Trump, I would say my observation is he knowingly lied. You know, Lori just said you get an F in college if you made a mistake like that. But what was his background? How did he make this basic a mistake? You know, he, he ran the National Cancer Institute, which is a part of FDA. It's not science that he has, a, he has a problem with. What he has a problem with is understanding the big picture. And let me just explain what I mean by that. Vaccine effectiveness and vaccine trust are equal. What I mean by that is you can have a vaccine that it's only 30% effective, but if it's 100% trusted, you will get immunity on 30% of your population. Likewise, if you have a vaccine that is 100% effective, but it's only 30% trusted, you get the same outcome. So the FDA's role is not just to evaluate the efficacy of a vaccine. It's to be highly, highly trusted and to set up a process and say, this is our standard. And then under pressure from the president say, well, we're not going to follow that standard. That does so much damage, by the way, not just to this vaccine, but to all the vaccines that we count on uh, in our modern society. Well, and I would add that when Han made that statement and backed up the president, now let's keep in mind the timing on this. It was on the eve of the opening of the RNC so that the president would be able to boast in his speeches to the RNC convention, hey, we've got a treatment. At that time, Han said, everything I'm saying to you, quote, is based upon sound science. We totally meaning the entire FDA, we totally support the EUA, that's the emergency use approval, and, quote, the timing was totally based on when we got the data, and these are the facts. And everything he said around those quotes turned out to be wrong. I mean, I have to think that if you were head of the National Cancer Institute, you have some experience in evaluating studies. 
wouldn't you? But you see, he claims in retrospect that it was his PR guys that gave him the wrong information, <laughs> which, okay, if that's true, then for something this momentous, if you're trained in the sciences, why didn't you look at the real data yourself? Why would you trust a PR hack with no science training who came out of the Donald Trump school of lying? So everything about it to me smells to high heaven. It, the, the timing on it, everything, I just think this was all decided by the White House. What does this portend to, as we head toward the election, of the strong possibility that the president will announce that there is a vaccine and that people are going to start getting it, I don't know, November 1st or well, something like I that? I think it depends on which of the main contenders that are actually in phase three trials already will be in a position to go to the already announced October 22nd FDA meeting that has been summoned experts to assess and decide which vaccine, if any, should get approval. Um, and this would be an emergency use approval in which you're already acknowledging that all the necessary data won't actually be there. You're flying a little bit blind. I think this is a matter of understanding Donald Trump. And so what I would say is one needle, one arm, one camera like man, woman, TV, whatever. So like a camera in a production facility, watching vaccines being made, and then a vaccine, you know, ideally in the arm of some person of color, shot in the arm. And, you know, look, if it's not approved, you might just do that with someone who's taking the trial and might, you know, just even claim that the FDA deep state is holding this up from getting into people. He is no doubt engineering something like that. And I think what Lori and I are saying is, you know, that's politics. But building accomplices, running our major agencies, um, is really problematic. And so I think people are going to need to scream out loudly. The, as Lori, I think, has done a really nice job of saying that the data will not be clear enough. But what they will very likely do is say, well, let's cherry pick. Let's take these 30,000 people. And if we only look at the people who are between 25 and 30 and who are have X and Y level of exposure, and these are people that have some higher risk, Let's convince the FDA to say that the benefit outweighs the risk. And, you know, what I like to say is, you know what else the benefit outweighs the risk? Water. Water. So the FDA could approve water. <laughs> but I would uh, say that two countries have already decided to go ahead and bypass phase three trials and poke their populations in the arms. That's China and Russia. Oh, OK. Well, um, hmm. I don't trust China or Russia for some reason. Is that is that wrong, anybody? Well, anyway, uh, how safe does a vaccine have to be before before you take it? If you have a thousand people a day dying, and you can reduce that by fifty percent a day, and there would be a small risk to some of the people who took it, naturally, um, it would make sense to, to do that on as accelerated basis as possible. Of course, and you know, again, I keep trying to, to draw the distinction between what our scientists are doing and what our politicians are doing. Because scientists accelerating to learn as much as possible and generate the data to figure out um, that risk-reward trade-off, and FDA staff trying to get that done as quickly as possible, we should celebrate how quickly we're doing this. There's nothing magical about having this done by November 1st except for the election. And so if we can be much more certain what we're doing in another two weeks or month or two months or three months. I think that people have a right to be concerned about the money and the profit and who's going to get what knowing Trump the way we do. 
how how much is profit and who's going to get selected, et cetera, a fear, you know, dealing with this administration and this president? The reason you ask the question is because uh, we've been trained that those are things to watch out for and to be concerned about and to question motivation. And so whatever the reason, whatever the motivation, I think it's too hard for the public to sort all that stuff out. And so instead, what I would suggest is we need an incredibly transparent process where the data can be seen and viewed and opined upon by independent scientists and legitimate scientists who put their name behind it. And, you know, you ask the question to, to, to Lori, would you take the vaccine on November 1st? You know, I think your answer is probably, I don't want to, but probably because I think she finds it impossible that that data would be uh, available by then and it feels forced fit. But at some point in time, Americans will see that data and we will want to take the vaccine. We ought to be careful also not to react uh, against what Trump is doing, which is clearly political, to the point where we create more vaccine hesitancy in this country than we really need. To take this one case we have right now at Oxford AstraZeneca, you know, there may be uh, effects like this in one out of every 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000 people. That's an acceptable risk if it's disclosed and if it's understood and if it's weighed against the benefits and if it's done in the light of day. So we shouldn't be afraid of understanding the data and having scientists tell us what their recommendations are. We just need to keep politics out of it. And that is just not going to happen quite honestly, you know, in the next 60 days. The way things are stacking up now with the combination of the anti-vaccine movement that's longstanding and has been out there for a while, but has had alignment with certain other political forces of late, including elements of the Trump administration. If that continues to grow, uh, and all signs are that it is, it almost doesn't matter who is elected on November 3rd, President of the United States, or whatever date we finish the vote count. One side or the other could manipulate the situation. So, for example, even if uh, Joe Biden is elected president, then I could imagine a scenario where sometime in next January or February, reasonable testing is completed. An FDA that is not under White House pressure and is operating on its old-fashioned good principles of science says this looks like a safe vaccine, this we recommend. Then the Trump-aligned anti-vaccine forces would go into high gear and start a massive disinformation campaign and do everything they can to undermine public faith and trust in that vaccine. And the reverse, I think, is also the case, not in quite as Machiavellian a sense, but certainly all surveys show Democrats right now are less trusting of a Trump administration-approved vaccine than are Republicans. So here we go down the road, where yet another tool in the public health toolkit has been so deeply politicized that it will be undermined, utilized, or believed based on party affiliation. This is what happens when you have a president who completely undermines any confidence in anything that anybody says in, in truth. This is a guy who will say anything that has created an atmosphere where no one trusts anything anymore that he, he lies all the time and he has divided people and he's actually kind of destroyed any kind of trust in anything. And people are going to 
continue to die because of it, no matter who wins. Is, that's pretty much what you're saying. If Joe Biden wins and the vaccine reaches the point where it's recommended to be taken, and all the Trump supporters say, hey, wait a minute, I'm crying foul. I've already, you know, there's already, as she says, aligned to the anti-vax movement. If you have large numbers of people, 50% of the people um, who say, I'm not taking the vaccine for one reason or another, then COVID-19 is with us for a lot longer because it will circulate a lot longer. If, on the other hand, Trump is reelected and the Democrats say, we're not going to take the vaccine, you have the same exact phenomenon. Imagine then um, the next time you take your kids for the measles vaccine or the influenza vaccine or there's another bug and people say, well, you know what, last time around this process was so politically polluted that I'm just going to take my chances. So, so this is like a global warming type of scenario where the president's kind of political marketing populism instincts get us in a, a generational level of destruction, potentially, of some of the things that, that we really count on as a modern society. We are in a situation that is almost existential for the basic tenets and purposes of public health as a mission. And when you have a a leadership in the country too timid and scared to stand up to the president and say, you lie, dude, shut up, get out of the way. Lives are at stake. The result is that the every single institution, because they're all government employees, by definition, public health is government executed, they all just begin to, to muzzle, to self, self-censor. You have seen all over the country Commissioners of health who tried to stand up to their mayor or their governor have been fired since COVID appeared. We've seen almost a, a anti-public health insurgency taking place. And I honestly believe that so much damage has been done that whoever is elected president of the United States next, and whatever the balance may end up being in the Senate and the House after all the votes are counted, we're still going to be in deep trouble trying to get some sense of collective, responsible belief in science and in the proof of evidence. It's hard to fathom the damage that has been done to this country in the last three and a half years, really, just in that regard, just in what we agree on in terms of what are facts. That has completely, completely gone away. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Well, uh... You know, thanks. You know, part of the reason I do this podcast is to, you know, give a little sunshine to people, cheer them up. That's what we've done today, certainly. That was a portion of the Al Franken podcast of September 13th, 2020, featuring Laurie Garrett and Andy Slavitt on the approaching rollout of a vaccine for the COVID-2 coronavirus. Now, that big meeting about Operation Warp Speed is taking place this week. It's on Thursday, October 22nd. This meeting is open to the public, and we'll provide a link to it on our SoundCloud and Facebook pages. And after spending $10 billion on the research, development, and production of actual vaccines, the FDA will be evaluating the status of that effort. And if deemed appropriate, they could embark on that emergency use authorization. As of October 16th, there were 11 different vaccines around the world that were in phase three trials. That's where they give the vaccine to thousands of volunteers 
to test their safety and efficacy. But some wrenches have been thrown into this process of developing COVID-19 vaccines. First, it was AstraZeneca that reported side effects in two volunteers taking their vaccine. And then just last week, two other companies, Johnson & Johnson and Eli Lilly, they announced concerning illnesses showing up in some of their volunteers, causing them to put a hold on their testing. So the FDA might not be moving forward on approving a coronavirus vaccine before November 1st, as Mr. Trump would like. But that's the question now. Will the experts be allowed to judge these vaccine candidates on their merits? Or will the White House interfere? No one knows, but I predict that we will be seeing campaign ads soon of people receiving vaccinations, as predicted in this podcast. That's just the political reality we live in now. But you know, some people are saying that the election of 2020 is the election of a lifetime. Well, I disagree. I think the election of a lifetime was 2016. Just look how things have changed since then. Now, I think we're in a race for our very lives. This has been Bench Talk, The Week in Science. See you next week.